Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch, and this is a podcast of conversations with doctors, developers, and decision makers that are playing in the Australian health tech scene today. Here in the studio with me is Dr. Todd Cameron. He's a GP with over 20 years' experience in general practice. Todd's contributed to primary healthcare as both a grassroots GP and as chair as one of the Medicare locals. He's co-founder of Modern Medical, a group of six GP clinics in Victoria, and up until December, he was the executive director on the board of Zenitas, a diversified community healthcare provider covering primary care, allied health, mobile services, and home care. He takes an active interest in mentoring and teaching as part of a commitment to educate the doctors of tomorrow. And among other things, he'll be launching Scale My Clinic later this year, a consulting firm focused on helping GPs realize the dream of owning their own practice. He's here in front of me, Dr. Todd Cameron. Hi. Hi, Peter. Uh, thanks for having me in Sydney. It's always a pleasure to come here. You're a Melbourneite, so you've you've flown specially into the studio here for me, I imagine. So Indeed. Uh, always good to experience the good weather up here. You know, you guys like to take the mickey out of us in Melbourne for our uh, um, unseasonable... Uh... I tried not to make a weather joke, but <laughs> you, you walked right into it. So, um, no, thank you for that. Um, uh, look, there's there's a vast amount of area to cover, I think, with you, Todd, but I'll ask the very broad open question of you of, of what keeps you busy. Uh, a few things. Um, I am still running uh, two of our uh, sort of medium to large size GP clinics uh, and we have just acquired another one um, recently. Uh, we have a rebranding that we are going through with um, part of Modern Medical being sold to Zenitas, of course, um, the intellectual property moved across to Zenitas. A uh, new brand will be M3 Health for those uh, remaining clinics. Um, they'll continue to be built. I'm not doing any active GP consulting at the moment. Uh, I was I was um, supervising GP registrars until recently uh, when I was I, I gave them the opportunity to sack me and they they wanted to continue <laughs> to have me on. So that was uh, that was great. It's encouraging. <laughs> that is encouraging. Um, and I'll do some other uh, support work for. Um, a program that is run by Silverchain called uh, Health Links, which is around uh, keeping uh, high-frequency emergency department attendees out of the emergency department. So I'm fine support for that. Uh, keeps me clinically engaged, um, as well as just mentoring GPs in the practice. So uh, it's a lot of fun. Good variety, and then mm-hmm. building the new business, of course, scale my clinic. The the only reason I think I use LinkedIn today is to see whether you've posted a video of, of a whiteboard session because they're my favourite things because they're 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 not LinkedIn-y. Um, they're, I, I can tell you what that means later. They're they're just useful and um, very uh, down to earth and, and factual, good information. Um, I, me, not a clinical person, but working in health tech, even gets. Um, gets a lot out of them. So I'm curious, how did the the whiteboard sessions actually start? And actually, if you don't mind explaining it to someone who has no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, Indeed. So um, I'm trying to remember when I did my first session, maybe 18 months, possibly even two years ago. Uh, But I I have a love of um, fine stationery. So I I make sure I've got the lovely art line markers. Uh, I I co-opted a whiteboard from within the uh, within the practice, stuck it in my room and then got to scribbling and I'm, I, I like to express myself when I speak, so standing I prefer mm. uh, and, I, and I thought it was worthwhile preparing a bit and putting on the whiteboard prior to, um, prior to getting up there and you know, being a GP of course, 
I wanted to show people that doctors can write legibly. Um, <laughs> it wasn't just a show for pharmacists. Um, and then it really was about uh, that kind of philosophy of if somebody asks you something more than once, uh, you know, make some content around it and, uh, and to try and understand some different ways of viewing the problems um, that we face in, in general practice, both from the GP side, practice owner side, and, and of course, from the patient side um, as well. Okay. Um, so you started Modern Medical, which, which, as I as I understand you, you were a single GP at one stage in one clinic, and then it it somehow scaled to sixty GPs and and hundred support staff or something like that across six locations. Um, was it always the intention to build a, a mini empire or? Uh, no, it wasn't. Um, I, as a child, grew up with a, a father who was an insurance salesman. So I remember always having business books around, you know, Zig Ziglar and these kind of guys. Mm. Uh, I really enjoyed reading that stuff. And, and um, I had worked for uh, multiple other general practice clinics and then just came to a point where I thought, I really want to try this myself. Um, once I did the first one, there was an opportunity within about uh, 18 months uh, there was a second one opening up in the same suburb and, and I kind of was faced with the decision of um, being the competition or, or you know, being eaten by the competition. The new location was much better. Uh, I decided that, that was a, a punt worth um, taking and I, and I really should have saved the image, the Google um, map of that location because uh, people looked at it you know, 10 years later and said, oh, this is a really easy decision to make. In fact, it was right in the middle. It was the town centre in Carolyn Springs, but it was literally dirt all around it. There were no roads yeah, um, around the back of the clinic. It was, it was um, at the time, it was a fairly risky proposition. We were jumping from a place where our rent was probably circa 20 grand a year to about 200. So a substantial um, mm -hmm. uh, shift change in the in the commitment mm. uh and uh and then after that it was a case of oh well you know that one went well um and uh as always happens in life when you're doing something well opportunities come to you mm. um we said yes to those and um my business partner by the way uh it was and and is an accountant um and uh and then we sort of did too much you know as as invariably happens as you, you do. say yes to too many things mm. uh a colloquialism that's come to me is got punched in the face a few times and, mm -hmm. and uh, we certainly did get punched in the face a few times during that expansion phase um, and then we had a longer period of consolidation and now now I'm comfortable that we're, we're um, better at scaling. Um, the main lessons for me were um, to be really clear about what you're delegating and, and um, building an A-team around you is really, really important. Mm. Uh, if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you need a bigger room is what I usually <laughs> say. So. so I can imagine if, you, if you're taking ownership of that whole process of building the business and, um, um, you know, I guess being punched in the face in adverted commas a few times, it would it would take, your toll, take its toll on, on you and the team. But... but um, you're, you're a GP, you're still trying to see patients every day. Yeah, absolutely. During that time I was. And, and I think um, I, I think that, you know, there's probably lessons that I would have from that time is to be better at protecting the time for, for you know, running the business, for mm. leadership work, rather than kind of uh, trying to plug as many holes as, as I could myself. Um, and it's certainly a growth experience. I think um, Owning a business is a lot like having money. It kind of magnifies whatever traits you might have. You know, if you're a control freak, you try and become more of a control freak. Uh, you know, if you're if you're a bit of an asshole, you're probably more of an asshole. Um, <laughs> if you're generous and kind, you know, you got the opportunity to be more generous and kind. So, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of growth opportunities in there, and and um, you you know you kind of build the business to get the output you've got. So it's useful to reflect on. 
the fact that um, what you're currently suffering or not is is purely as a result of what you've designed. So um, I learned a lot of good lessons through that time. I'm interested in being a, a, a podcast around health technology from, from, a, from a technology perspective. Um, I mean, I come from a from a background where every every software vendor will, will will in the healthcare space will tell you that their technology will will, will you, Mister Doctor, will save you hours and hours of time and um, allow you to uh, review patient files laying on the beach in Bali or something, which which I'm sure every GP does. That's that's how I've been taught. But but enlighten me though. In reality, have the advancements in in technology from your perspective? over the years helped you as a bit or, or helped generally the busy GP um, who wants to grow their, their practice or is there there a lot of marketing hype in there? Yeah, I think in, in IT, uh, often the experience is you get promised the world and delivered an atlas, you know. Um, <laughs> it's it's not quite as as expected. Um, there has been there has been a large so in the twenty odd years I, I've been in general practice, there has been a substantial improvement of efficiency and effectiveness of how general practice is run. Um, and I would suggest that probably three quarters or so of that of that efficiency gain has been transferred to the contractor GPs. Uh, so contractor GPs now probably um, take home, you know, as a percentage, probably something like uh, 25 to 50 percent more in terms of their share of the revenue from the clinic. Um, and um, the next phase of, of effectiveness and efficiency within general practice will hopefully allow a bit more of that to be retained by the practice because mm. obviously there's there's a substantial risk taken on there. Um, yeah, the things that that uh, have saved a lot of time. Remote access is, is like ABS breaks, I think. You know, you, you need to have that uh, and that allows people with um, – that allows them to have location flexibility about where they do their follow-up, et cetera. Um, you can log on in the morning before you attend work to, to get all of your recalls, reminders done, prepare for your day, know what patients are coming in. certainly makes a big difference. Um, secure messaging is a really miss, big missed opportunity by um, the federal government and – pursuing my health record before secure messaging, I think was probably a foolish strategy. Um, we still receive huge numbers of faxes that need to be scanned and allocated and then shredded, which is clumsy and expensive for all of us mm -hmm. and incredibly inefficient. So that's something I would really like us to see. Um, the things that I think are going to make the biggest difference, I, I was fortunate enough to be invited to a CBA Future of Health event recently. Uh, they had a really interesting bit of tech uh, that related to narrow AI and the company um, that was um, demoing it was Conversa Health. Okay. Um, Murray Brzezinski was the, um, I think, the chief strat strategy officer that was presenting it. Um, and effectively, this is where I see a lot of the, the key leverage coming in primary care at least. Um, effectively, anything that has a kind of um, a management flow chart or, or a... Um, a decision matrix, you know, if your weight goes up two kilograms when you've got heart failure, then, you know, double your LASIKs or whatever it might be. Anything that you can write down that has a flow chart really can fit into AI, um, a narrow AI. So you can have disease-specific AI, and, and asthma is a great example where you can manage asthma that way. Uh, we were talking a little bit before about, you know, skin lesions. That's another area that, that um, obviously you can have tech that helps you with analysing those. Um, heart failure is one. Uh, there's been a lot of, of work on people post-cancer um, care in how they manage their symptoms from, say, radiation therapy, et cetera. Um, and I think there's some real opportunities in that space because what it does that I think is the real, the, the gold for us in, in primary care is to find 
asynchronous means of communicating. Because even if you have video communication, you're only really solving the geographical restraint. You still have to have synchronous, um, two parties have to be ready at the same time. And effectively it's the gaps in between where the inefficiencies um, occur and the kind of stacking problems. So it becomes a bit like, you know, the flight plan at, at, out at Sydney International, right? You get a couple of flights that are, that are late and then that just stacks the whole lot out. So asynchronous communication, I think will be, become really important. And if, and if doctors can have a role in kind of personalizing those narrow band AI um, solutions for patients, I think we'll be giving people that a script, we'll be giving them scripts that actually are the way they manage their health. Um, and that way we'll get the, the, um, the outliers, the abnormalities that don't fit within that being either phone calls or coming in. Uh, but there'll be a lot more care that, that is around um, automated processes that patients use at home. And people, are, I think, are more comfortable um, texting than chatting almost and certainly more comfortable than video. Mm. You know, people talk a lot about telemedicine. When you ask everybody, how often do you video chat someone? Almost never. Mm. Most people are not fans of that. Um, that means of communication. If they are, they tend to do it with family, not with people they yes. don't know. So I don't remember the last video call I had unless it was a specific Zoom call or something where you were getting a group together. But generally speaking, you don't do so much one-to-one -one video. Um, so I think the asynchronous elements are going to be really important. And, and I'm convinced that narrow band AI or narrow AI is the only thing that's going to be viable at this point in time. You know, the general AI is, is still a fair way away. Uh, we don't have to worry about Skynet just yet. Um, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, when you see some of the tools that are fairly general in nature and even the ones around mental health, mm. um, they, they don't seem to be working as well as, as we would like at the moment. But when you keep it to one particular disease state, I think we'll be on a winner. And we'll just need to see a change in funding models. Uh, and I think that that's going to be relatively easy to convince people because the evidence is pretty strong that they save money and improve outcomes. And just on that note, there's, there's really um, the one tool I use to analyse how useful something is going to be. Um, there's that good, fast, cheap triad that, that um, you know, that, that we use in business where you say you can choose any two, but you have to give up the other one. Yeah. Um, with an IT solution or with a, um, a health IT solution, I would say that um, you need to choose at least one that you're going to give that the IT solution needs to provide and it cannot detract from the other two. Um, that way it would be considered. If it's all three that, that are positive, then that's great, pretty easy to consider. But it has to be at least one positive and never a negative. You can't go backwards in quality. You can't mm. go backwards in speed. Um, and, and you can't go backwards and have something that's more expensive. It just needs to be that you provide um, boosts in all of those areas. And that way it becomes fairly easy. I think that's where most of them fall over. You know, somebody presents something there's like five extra process steps. When you do a process map, you say, well, that's not really going to fly because mm. I've already got a lot to do in the 15 minutes I'm with the patient. I don't really want to spend a lot of extra time on things. Yes. Um, the other thing I'm excited about uh, that I think we'll see a lot is um, voice assistance. You know, I'm, I'm myself using the voice assistant a lot more mm. um, that's embedded in my phone or my Google voice assistant. And it would be lovely at the end of a consult to say, um, thanks, Peter. Um, Hey, software, please um, print all long-term scripts for Peter. Are there any referrals outstanding? And ask the software to do all the things that normally require you to scroll through multiple screens mm. and just say, hi, hey, software, we're finishing up and you've got some if this, then that rules in mm. there that sort of say, all right, these are the things that are outstanding. Um, I think those kind of things would be okay. The question is around passive listening and not and where that's stored, et cetera. But um, 
there are solutions to all that. Health data is already stored somewhere that meets Australian legislation. Um, there's a lot of exciting kind of solutions there or potential solutions to, to big problems and they're, they're, they're around those those two important parts of either I don't know, saving money or making money or or better patient outcomes. But it's all it doesn't matter how good the technology is, there needs to be a, a willing um, I, I guess controller on, on the from a clinician side and yeah. you being you know a very early adopter or, or at least a, a very open-minded clinician um you know there would probably be a relatively short learning curve for a decent bit of software but in the general kind of the rest of the forty thousand or however many gps there are in australia i should know um they're they're not all like that i mean yeah. some still use manila folders and and rely on that fax machine Absolutely. Uh, it, look, it's interesting. I, I always use uh, an iPad or, a, or an iPhone as an example of this. You know, um, the bit behind the screen is highly complex and, and you know, is, is not something that anybody would, would trifle with without um, the requisite knowledge and skills. However, you know, a, an 18-month-old or two-year-old can pick one up and start using it intuitively. So um, those those sort of tools really need to be the guide. It should be that, that uh, these tools are made for relatively inexperienced users. One of the reasons I love I love the uh, voice assistants, mm-hmm. you know, they offer a big opportunity for us with just voice commands to actually activate um, sequences of, of pre-programmed events. Um, so I think I think it's really up to the developers to actually make sure it's so easy and so compelling mm. that why wouldn't you do it? But the early adopters are going to have a lot of scrutiny, as you'd expect. Um, you know, we, we there are a lot of questions. Uh, it's a little bit like the um, the trolley dilemma, the trolley car dilemma with you know a- autonomous driving. Um, if if you're going to design a system that's going to care for people. Um, in any disease state or, or a variety of disease states, um, who who is able to be persecuted persecuted when it goes wrong? You know, yes. um, how do we how do we approach that? And so there are a lot there are a lot of um, legal and ethical questions for us. But again, I, I'd liken it to autonomous driving, where uh, if we're reducing errors and improving consistency, mm-hmm. then what it means is is um, in in my case, general practitioners can focus a lot more on the stuff that really matters. You know, the relationship influence um, motivational interviewing um, having a really strong therapeutic alliance because you're kind of not doing the stuff that that is not that meaningful you know mm. when you when you walk to the door and you're saying to your patient yeah i'll see you in a couple of weeks um, they're probably going to remember two maybe three things at the most and if the last thing they remember is i'll see you in two weeks time um, and and double your lasics and you know one more thing then Really, you haven't necessarily mm. got a new change to behaviour or a new lifestyle intervention that might help. This is too much data that people go out with. So it'd be nice to know that um, some of it's in the phone and they actually don't have to pay that much attention to it. Um, when you look around in the waiting room, yeah, everybody's on their phones. That's the device to use. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. interesting. So from a GP's perspective then... Um, how are things going to change for the GP in the next five to ten years? We talked about some of the tech that all exists, but from from the GP's perspective, how will they need to adapt or evolve? Or? I think uh, we need to be comfortable with a with a world of increasing transparency. So yeah. it would be foolish to believe that patients won't see all of your notes mm. regularly. Uh, so I, I would be writing everything as if it is reviewed by my patient. Um, which I have for a long time, and I and I my habit has always been to give people referrals without an envelope. So they've got access to all the information that's in there. 
Uh, and I think that there's, there's – I'm quite excited about that. I, I think um, files that are kind of co-created and, and um, patients that are active participants in their healthcare, it's very good evidence that they get better outcomes, so we shouldn't fear that. Um, most of the fear with doctors around that is being sued, of course. You know, we're, we're fairly risk-averse with good reason. Uh, and so security and accessibility are always, you know, sort of competing tensions in any in any system. Um, that's one thing that I think will change. The other thing is I think that the nature of consults will be a, a broader range. It won't be come in, sit down opposite me and talk about something. Um, there'll be there'll be probably email consults, maybe um, chat type functions, and as I said, prescribed arrow AI. I think will be part of it too. So um, you'll probably have to have some working knowledge of uh, process mapping and um, how how decisions are made within the software, uh, within any system, so that you can customise it for patients. Um, that probably means there's a lot of new jobs available. Um, there'll be doctors who are sitting around in board shorts uh, at a computer that are actually writing these things um, and testing them. And there'll be people who are, who their role is in health informatics and they'll be testing them compared to a group that doesn't have the intervention. Um, there will be a lot of new roles in healthcare. I think that's really exciting too because um, a broadening of roles and a kind of crossover of skill sets, you know, uh, is, is appealing. Um, and then I think there'll be a lot of things that we can't predict. You know, there's going to be some stuff that, that uh, should so obviously be adopted. Um, that, that it is. But again, it's it's clear that health is not an easy egg to crack because it's highly regulated. It's not a driver and a car, you know. Um, so it, people talk about um, Uberizing and and my least favourite word in, in, in anything, uh, but healthcare is disrupting. <laughs> you, you know, at, at school, you, you, disruptive was you're in strife. Yep. Uh, and, and I think we, re, we need to reshape. You know, health is not incredibly broken so in australia you know we we produce uh, world quality outcomes in healthcare we're the envy of most nations with our with our healthcare system particularly our primary care system we spend about 10 percent of gdp you know that that's um in line with the nhs but we're not kind of burning out our doctors and exporting them um, and our nursing and, and other clinical staff so I think overall it's important to acknowledge we do a pretty good job. Uh, on average in general practice, um, the Australian government invests about $350 per Australian for their primary care for the year. It's not a huge amount of money and the return is fairly substantial. So it's already pretty good. Uh, you know, most Australians have access to low cost or no cost at the point of service care, uh, particularly if they're, uh, you know, healthcare card pensions, etc. So. Most countries don't have those privileges. You can access PBS medications at relatively low cost. Um, so I think it's important to acknowledge that, that the reason that that's actually hard to, to come into and apply a new process and new system to is it actually works pretty well mm. for the most part. Could be better, most definitely. Mm. So, then, so then lastly, Todd, for, for the GP that's sitting there and they, they might be uh, working in a clinic or having dreams about starting their own clinic or... or, or uh, a registrar or, or someone studying to be a, a GP or, or even a business person looking to, to get involved in some way. Um, what would be your advice to, to someone that's looking to start their own clinic one day? Uh, I think um, the, the first thing is to build a bit of a vision about, you know, everything gets built twice, first in your imagination and, and then in real life. You, you need to spend a bit of time um, building your vision. Uh, there's, a, there's something that's really nice for people that are into uh, building something called a Disney pattern um, that Walt Disney used. Uh, I, I won't, uh, I won't um, tell you exactly what that is. Look it up. And it's just a nice pattern for creating something new. 
um, I think you like every like every offering. You really need to look for what the gap is in the marketplace. What are you going to be doing that no one else is going to be doing? Um, and then and then hard work and passion is is really it. But uh, beyond that is building a, a mastermind team around you. You know, a, a group of advisors, uh, people that are smarter than you. Um, that you can collaborate with. And we live in a world where now collaboration is really easy. There are great tools for this. Um, you can get access to information from anywhere in the globe, you know, uh, in 0.06 of a second kind of mm. thing. So um, I think it's a it's a great time for people to be entering the space, which is probably contrary to what most people see. I was going to say, there's the, it's the, that's the, that's the time where so, uh, all the GP clinics are consolidating, right? It's it's a hard time for the GP around the corner. Yeah. Um, other than to, to try and sell it as quick as they can so they can try and make the most amount of money. It sounds like you disagree. Yeah, I think I, I think um, that, that's often more philosophy more than anything. Uh, and, and you know, if you get a scarcity mindset, you, you kind of never take a risk. And if you're going to grow something, you need to take a risk. Mm. And, and uh, one of the things I say is, you know, when, when you see a car that's stalled, um, you don't want to be the person who starts pushing it, right? You want to be the person who jumps on the back after it's already going because it takes more energy to overcome. <laughs> Such a good analogy. <laughs> static friction than it does dynamic friction. Yeah. Right? So, so you need you need a lot of energy to build up that yeah. kind of escape velocity, um, and so you can't half ass it. So when people say, "Oh, look, you know, I might I'll continue to work part time here and I'll run my own business." Mm. Uh, I always look at them and think, well, you know, if you're not completely committed to it, how do other people buy into it? You know, that, that doesn't really resonate very well with the universe, let alone the people around you. So I think if you build a big enough idea and you test it, you know, obviously you need to test ideas when the marketplace, once the idea is fully built, get some good mentors, some good professional and technical advisors um, and start building it. Understand your strengths and backfill your weaknesses. Make sure you get people around you to cover for those um, and, and go for it, you know, have a, have a crack. Mm. Todd, we'll leave it there. I'll leave some notes in the the podcast on how people can can check out what you do, and including I'm hoping to see many more whiteboard sessions in 2019. By the way, I put you on the spot, but um, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name's Peter Birch. Go check out our socials, share the love, send me a note if you've got some feedback, or even if you know someone that might be awesome to have on the show in future. Look forward to chatting to you next time.